I love my cat, Tiger. And as my best friend, we speak our own language. What's that? You love your litter. He does, because I use Fresh Step Outstretch Litter. It absorbs 50% more waste and odor and requires less changing compared to Fresh Step Multicat. Less changing means more time playing. <laughs> right, Tiger? That's a yes. Find Fresh Step Outstretch Cat Litter in the pet aisle. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Hi there, everybody. I got to tell you, I'm getting a little thrill to welcome back to Super Soul, world-renowned clinical psychologist, parenting expert, New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Shafali. Now, I have to say, her life's work is devoted to guiding parents to raise happier, more conscious children. And her book, The Conscious Parent, was first published in 2010. I gave a copy to every mom and dad I know. If you were to come downstairs in my house right now, you'd see a shelf of all conscious parents go, anytime, anybody, anywhere is having a baby, if I meet them on the street or they're telling me they're having problems with their kid, I send them a book. So Dr. Shafali's new book is called The Parenting Map, Step-by-Step -Step Solutions to Consciously Create the Ultimate Parent-Child Relationship. I'm so glad you're here. Oprah, I just have to say that if it weren't for you, Conscious parenting would not be on the map. Oh, well, so thank you. you are the ambassador of this message. So thank you so much. Well, the reason why I chose to be an ambassador and I wished for every parent I know to experience it is because from the moment I started reading the first page, I said this to you a decade ago, I haven't been a parent, but I could feel in my spirit, ah, this is the answer. And over the years, you know, 25 years of The Oprah Show, I interviewed hundreds of child parenting experts and everybody has their own ideas and their own philosophies. But when I read the first pages of The Conscious Parent, I went, oh, this is it. This is the answer everybody's been looking for. So you believe that your previous books were about the what and the why, and now you have the how. Well, you always told me that I needed to give parents a real systematic approach that's right to guide their children and i felt like i had to do the first few books just yes. to lay the foundation because this message is so different and it shouldn't be so revolutionary i was going to say it's a revolutionary message that challenges the way parents think about themselves yes Yes, yes, and their role. Yes. And their control. And their control. Yes, and giving up the control. Yes. To them means 
or has felt like giving up respect, giving up what I'm supposed to be doing. Yes. Yes. Because the traditional parenting model has so indoctrinated the world over uh, to believe that the parent is at the hierarchical, dogmatic, tyrannical head of the family, a mini god, so to speak. So to ask parents to re-examine that pedestal that they've placed themselves and dare to submit to the empowerment of the child in a mutually reciprocal way feels so threatening to and them. Yeah, I was going to say threatening and very scary. Because they have to look at themselves. That's what conscious parenting says. Look at yourself. The parent needs to raise themselves as much, if not more, than they raise their children. And who wants to look in the mirror? No one. And, and you say that that's the reason it's called parenting. Otherwise, it would be called childing. Yes. Yes. Because we are asked to do the most difficult thing in the world, which is to own our own childhood conditioning, heal our own emotional baggage, and show up for our children in a way that doesn't impose upon them our beliefs, our expectations, our fantasies. Because to do that, is to suppress their authentic signature. And our role really is to set them to be free, to yes. be who it is they are. Yes. And that's an impossible thing for us parents because we think we own them. Yes. And I, I, I appreciate in the book where you say, finish this sentence, I had children because. Because. Yes. And most parents will say, because I love children because I always dreamt of a happy family, because I would be a great mother. And they don't hear embedded in that the staunch and rigid I. I. And that's the ego. And parents need to realize. Oh, I know this is shocking <laughs> for people to hear. This is hard for you to accept, but that's why I just, you know, it's the ulti my ultimate goal in doing this with you is to get this into the hands of as many parents as possible because we need it now more in our world than ever before. Yes. A conscious way of looking at our own lives and consciously raising our children. So this idea that I wanted to have children because I would be a good mother because I want to have children who right. represent my goals right. and my, yes. Right, so then when you begin to acknowledge and own and become aware that your parenting is suffused with the prominence of the ego. Yes. Now that does a few things to your psychology if you're brave enough. Yes. The first thing it does, it makes you realize that you aren't doing your children any favor and you haven't rescued them from the ravages of hell by having them. So end your a delusion of selfless superiority, that you are the God complex, that you are the savior. You know, you don't have to have this idea, this delusion yeah. that you've rescued them. Because when you have the delusion that you've rescued them, then you have this idea, this, this uh, prominent impetus to fix them, that, you, that they're broken and that they have to become something of your fancy. But how does this... Um reconcile with the fact that you are there to help guide them. You are there to nurture and to support them. You are there for all those things. Right. And this is the tightrope of parenting. How do you love without smothering? How do you take care without taking over? How do you attune without accosting their spirit? How do you love without possession and control? This is the dance and the art 
But when you learn to walk that tightrope, and it is a tightrope, and you will fall down and make plenty of mistakes, yes. what you learn from that is to trust the spirit that comes through your child. And that degree of trust is the epitome of unconditional acceptance. I love, love, love this in the preface of the parenting map. You are pretty blunt. You say, our love for our kids can take our breath away, both in its limitless expansiveness and in its heartbreaking anxiety. It is the perfect cocktail of the most piercing adoration and the most excruciating fear. This is what our kids do to our souls. They expand them as never before, but also twist them to a pulp and throw a dagger at them. Then they walk away without even noticing. Yes, and you're there, a pulp on the floor. (laughs) Are you finding this passage rings true for parents who've read the book? Yes, because you see, we wrap up our very identity with our parenthood. Our children are an extension of us. And that's where the greatest traps lie because we see them as our representatives. We see them as our brand ambassadors. So imagine how intertwined we are with their destiny, who they choose, how they look, whom they marry, what career they take. What they do. What they do is all, we think, a reflection of us. But here is the lie because they are not a reflection of us. We are a reflection of ourselves. Well, it's so interesting. I was just talking to a parent of grown children who was telling me that he was visiting one of his um, daughters and that the daughter said, well, they had had lunch and the daughter said, well, you can come home with me, but my house is really messy. And that he went to the house and the house was really messy Mm -hmm. and found that a little disturbing. And I said, what does that have to do with you? Exactly. But everything... What what does that have to do with you? Everything, Oprah, because our very identity, our personhood is enmeshed and codependent with our children. And this is what conscious parenting teaches. And I teach in the book, how do you separate your identity and your wholeness, Mm -hmm. your worthiness from your child? Mm -hmm. Because if you depend on your child for your worth, now you're going to go through the ringer and everything they do is going to matter. And what do you care after you've raised your child, your child is living in another city, they have their own apartment, their own space. If they want to live messily, that's what they do. Yeah, but it's our control. It's hard for us to relinquish that. Mm. Mm. So uh, you once told me a profound moment of awakening that you you had uh, that when you were raising your own daughter, you had like a meltdown, Mm -hmm. right? Many. Many. (laughs) Many meltdowns. She's now 21. Yes. So do you feel a sense of liberation for her and liberation for yourself also? Well, let me tell you, the journey never ends of this ominous ego that keeps showing up. So even though my daughter's old and one would think Dr. Shefali should have a grip on, on her ego, it just sneaks up onto us. So I never want to give parents the illusion of perfectionism. And instead of perfectionism, I go for evolution. So even today, when I see the ego roar, Uh I have compassion for myself. And I want parents to have compassion and a great sense of humor about this unrelenting ego of theirs and look at it as another moment to evolve. So when Maya was three years old, you were in the park and she didn't want to leave and you wanted to leave. Yes. And it turned into a thing. A debacle. 
a yes. tobacco oh, war. Why, 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 why so? Because I was so wrapped up in my whole agenda for the day. And we were going to do this and then go for dinner and sing songs. And she was going to tell me I'm the best mother and go to bed. So I had the whole agenda like we parents do. We have the next 25 years yes. mapped out. And then when the child decided to be a child, as mine did, she dared to have some feelings <laughs> and shriek and scream like children do. Mm -hmm. I was just aghast as if, you know, she had uh, offended, you. offended me yes. and insulted my very essence and morality. And um, I remember feeling a great deal of shame that I was failing. And, and, and the, shame is, the shame is because what? I can't control my I child. I can't control this bloody little thing. And yes. everyone's watching me yes, and yes, I'm yes. useless. And this child is just not coming under my ownership. And look at her. How dare she? Got it. You know, and so you feel judgment from others. You feel a great sense of inner criticism and shame. And then you kind of try to label your child and you make her the bad one. So I did all of that in the short span of a 20 minutes walk of shame as I walked her back home <laughs> and everyone was looking at me as if I was electrocuting her. Um, and then I couldn't even let it go. You know, children have a mood and they can move on, but we parents keep regurgitating the past yeah. over and Holding over. On to it. So I was whipping myself into shame. And that's when I had a big epiphany to realize how much my ego was wrapped up in this destiny of a three-year-old. And that's a real dangerous thing. When you give your sense of worth to a three-year-old, <laughs> now you're in trouble. And that's when I woke up and I realized that I needed to do a lot of work on myself so that I could stay in my inner alignment and not be affected by my child's moods, by her capricious thoughts, by her nature, and therefore liberate her. I was scared of her big emotions because to me that meant I was a bad mom. And I love this uh, movie analogy that you do. You say, I thought this was so good. You say, parents unknowingly write scripts yeah. and create films for their children. Yes, trilogies, yes. trilogies. Yeah, <laughs> projecting a vision of perfection, yes. of happiness yes. and great successes. Yes. What is behind this need for this vision of perfection? Our own deep sense of unworthiness. The greater our inner lack and our own inner misalignment, unworthiness, a lack of actualization, all that lack, guess what we do with it? We dump it mm -hmm. onto our children. I couldn't be a success. I couldn't live in purpose, but I'm going to be hell sure that you do. Yes. And so all that energy, instead of taking it back within ourselves to heal ourselves, mm -hmm. We dump it on our children and put the burden of fixing that brokenness onto them. The three-year-old that they are reminds us of the three-year-old we were. The, the lack of control that they have in their lives echoes the lack of control we had. So instead of going within, as conscious parenting says we should do, and healing what's showing up for us, our ego shows up even stronger and we double down even harder and then we manipulate them to become who we need them to be for us to feel redemption. Mm, and it happens over and over. On repeat, yes. a few times a day. So we have several parents across the country who have read the parenting map 
and they have questions for you. Evelyn's a mother of three from Virginia, has a question about her relationship with your young adult children. Evelyn. Hi, Oprah. Hi, Dr. Shafali. Thank you so much for taking my question. My name is Evelyn, and I have three children, two of which are young adults in college now. In your book, Dr. Shafali, you identify the unique ego mass that we must break out of in order to have a healthy relationship with our children. Now that my daughters are young adults, how do I recover from 21 years of dysfunctional parenting patterns so that I may build a deeper, more rich relationship with my children, now young adults? Mm, I like that question. Yes, so in the book, I help parents identify their typical dysfunctional pattern. So I talk about the fighter ego mask, the fixer, which I have, mm -hmm. uh, the feigner, the freezer, the yeah. fleer. So I, I type, typify them so that parents can go, mm, that's me, that was my dad. Yes. So she's talking about identifying her ego mask. And now she's like, oh my goodness, what do I do now? I've been living with this ego for so long. So the first thing we have to do when we look back at our parenting in retrospect is to not engage in guilt and shame, because that's, again, another mask of the ego to put us down. You shouldn't have done that. So we have to have compassion for us not knowing better so we couldn't do better. As Aren't Maya. there times that people shouldn't have done things, though? But looking back with the should lens yes. is a waste of time for the present moment. Absolutely. So right. all we can do in the present moment is learn and yeah. integrate and hold ourselves accountable and going forward. And give up forward. the hope, the, uh, hope of the that it's going to be any different. It's going to be any different. It's not going to be And any there different. is no perfect parent, and we've all messed up. So just in, enjoy the fact that you are having a very human experience and be kind and gentle with yourself. And the second thing we have to do is now break the pattern. So in the book, I outline step by step what that looks like. So we identify the mask. And remember, the mask exists only for one reason, to protect us from more pain. So we create the mask of the super achiever, the high controlling exploder or the people pleaser because we're hiding behind the mask that that little inner child that is so scared to be rejected, so scared to be trampled on. So when we see the Being ego mask, your own inner child, your own, not your child's, yours. Yes. And that's the real child we have to raise the, the child within us. Yes. That's the core of conscious parenting. So when you are willing to be brave enough to go, that's my ego, that's a signal to go deeper. What is my inner child yearning for right now that I'm disguising through the mask of the ego? I think you should explain to us, for those of you who have not, because I haven't reached all of you all to give you a copy of The mm -hmm. Conscious Parent, uh, what is the core of conscious parenting? At a very simplistic level, it is the parent who dares to raise themselves first, who looks at the dynamic they have with their children as a mirror to all their own unresolved baggage. So instead of jumping forth and pouncing on the child when they are feeling any sort of anxiety, they look at this moment as an opportunity to heal that which has risen from their own past. You know, when I'm giving the book to people, I always say, uh, particularly people who are having their first child, you're going to love this experience of reading this book because you're going to see that you thought that you were there 
to, to raise your child, yes. but your child is coming to help raise you. I say our children are our greatest awakeners. Yes. And our greatest mirrors for all that we have yet to heal. But it only takes, it takes bravery and only a brave, resolute parent, a courageous parent to use this opportunity, this bejeweled opportunity to heal oneself. I was going to say, and I, I think I said this in a decade ago when we were talking, yes, it takes courage. It also takes so much patience because it's so much easier just to say, go sit down. You sit down over there and don't you get up, don't you move, don't you do anything. Yes. Over the years, I've thought that every time I give this to a parent, there is some level of resistance, particularly with parents who already have children because they've been doing it their way. There are lots of aha moments, but they also feel like having to give up the control is not something that they really want to do. Right, because most of us parents have been trained to stay in supremacy and to do things our way. So we don't... And also, it's so much easier just to, just to say, sit down, right. don't you move. It's my way or the highway. My way or the highway. So as long I tell, as you're living in my house, you're going to do what I say. So much easier in the moment, but so destructive to not only the connection you have with your child, but if your goal is to raise an empowered, liberated, maverick spirit who's a warrior out in the world, how can you then clamp down on their very essence and their independence and expect them to be brave when they leave the house? Huge, huge, huge. Jennifer is a 44-year-old mother of seven-year-old twins from Los Angeles. Jennifer? Hi, Dr. Shivali. I'm Jennifer. And recently, my seven-year-old twins got haircuts. I noticed I was having a really strong reaction to one of them having much shorter hair. I thought about your book when you mentioned external triggers on page 29, and I thought about why I was having such a strong reaction to her hair. And then I remembered in kindergarten to save money, my mom cut my hair super short and I hated it and I cried all day. So my question to you is, how can I keep that mindset throughout my kids' lives so that I don't put my desires onto them? Interesting how a haircut was oh, triggering for her. It could be a cup of coffee. That's how quick and deep our wounds get inflamed. So the trigger, I always say, is never the cup of coffee or the haircut. It's always how it's being metabolized within us. What is happening inside us? So she did the work and mm -hmm. she looked within herself and realized her own trauma around her own haircut was triggering her when she observed her child. She could do that because she'd read the book. She read the book. Yeah. But she did the work and she caught herself before she projected onto her child. So this is the power of this internal work, that we look at our own internal triggers. There is never a trigger on the outside. It's always what it inflames on the inside. And so she... So there's a thing on the outside that reminds you and that's what inflames the inside. The thing on the outside is anything. It could be anything. The breeze, it could yeah. be clouds, yeah. it could be a thunderstorm. That's right. The thing is neutral. So in Buddhism, that thing is often called the first arrow. But what we talk about in conscious parenting is, ah, what is the second arrow? Yes. And the second arrow is your mind's reaction to what is happening. Yeah. So how is your emotional pain metabolizing the current pain? And the two together create the internal trigger. Well, the world is certainly a different place than when you and I 
and most people who are watching us right now, y'all grew up. And Amanda is a single mom of four from California. She has a question about modern day parenting. You agree it's very different, right? Very different, yes. Okay, Amanda. Hi, Oprah. Hi, Dr. Shafali. My name is Amanda and I'm a single mom of four kids between the ages of 11 and 16. As we know, modern day kids and parents are dealing with issues that simply didn't exist when we were young. Parenting these days feels like a very heavy lift with social media, mass shootings, the mental health crisis, and so much more. My question is, how do we navigate these unprecedented times consciously as parents? Mm. There's so much, that's a big question. It is a big question. Big question, man. And what she alluded to are pernicious influences. The impact of social media is undeniably harmful to our children. Yeah, you said it's, it's, it's putting our, our ability to connect and influence children's lives in grave jeopardy. Grave jeopardy. It yeah. was already, our ability to connect with our children was already under great scrutiny, and now it's under peril. So uh, my alarm systems are all up on high because I see the effects of what she's talking about. But what I do well, tell... Tell me how yeah. you see them. So this world of virtual reality and social media has divested us of what it means to be human. It is antisocial, disconnected, fake, superficial, artificial, materialistic, comparative, competitive, separatist. In every way, it is eroding what it means to be a human soul. It is teaching our children to be entitled, indulgent, instantly gratified, all the things that we should be walking away from. We should be slowing our pace. We should be stilling our spirit. We should be soaking in nature. We should be connecting on a human personal level. We should not be in goal orientation the way we are. Oh, flick of a button and my food shows up. We should be in process. We're missing the process of our creativity, of our joy, of our hardship. What happened to pain? We're trying to do away with pain in our thirst for happiness. And what we're doing is we're creating greater fragility because we don't have the resilience to tolerate pain because we're wiping away pain. Yeah, nobody wants anybody to have a moment of, of uncomfortability. And that is why our children are crumbling. Our children feel the pressure of this artificial world like no one else. Mental health is on the rise, as you know, mm -hmm. in our children more than ever before. And parents wonder, you know, parents are so confused. They have everything. Look, if only I had what they have. They have AI and they have virtual reality and they can go visit the MoMA in their helmets sitting at home and go to Paris sitting at home. And what parents don't realize is that this is not what children need and their spirits are revolting against this burden of artificiality. Children want connection. That's what their soul needs. And we are taking it away. And that's why they're suffering. We all know the teenage years are some of the most challenging, but teenage rebellion, is it inevitable? Is it an inevitable part of life? And healthy and delicious mm -hmm. and oh so scary for the parent who wants control. And one of the things you write on page 59 is that while we feel they're rebelling against us, we need to realize they're finally doing something for themselves. They are only rebelling against our tyrannical control. Oh. They are only rebelling against our godlike complex. 
and seeking the God within themselves. Wow. I think that's a very challenging concept for parents of teens. Yeah. They're like, yeah. forget that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? Yes. Right. You do as I say. You do as I say, because they don't want to give up the control and also feel like this is when you need to have more control. Uh, and on the contrary, this is exactly, precisely when we need to release them into their own inner empowerment. How will they learn? How will they practice if we do not allow them under the safety of our own home to experiment, to have adventures and to make mistakes. Okay. So you say one of our greatest superpowers is our capacity to let go. Julie, a mom of two from Colorado, has a question about letting go. Hi, Oprah and Dr. Shafali. My name is Julie. I have a question in regards to relinquishing control. We have a 17-year-old daughter who has a pretty big social life and it has recently expressed frustration in regards to our curfew time and up to this point we've set very clear expectations and boundaries we recognize she wants to go to parties and do things she's 17 and a junior in high school but my question really has to do with you know we're concerned about her safety and how do we relinquish that control of letting her make these decisions for herself these big decisions of going to these parties and us not sitting by the phone waiting for her, knowing where she's at or looking at Life360 to make sure we know where she's at. Uh, she's a little frustrated that we have to know where she's at at all times, but I really do think that it has to do with her safety more than anything because she is a good kid. She does make good choices, but we're looking for some direction and for the season of life. Thank you. Well, so the- You've been through this. Oh, a million times where we parents think it's for the child's well-being, for the child's safety. But I always tell parents, I think it's more for your own inner quelling of anxiety than it is for your child's safety. Because who is ever safe? You and I could walk out right now and break a leg. You know, something could pounce on us, something could fall on us. Life is inherently unsafe and unpredictable. And this goes to the core of parenting, our desire and need and the delusion that we think we can control it all. So what should she do in this instance? I mean, should there not be curfews? Should there not be some responsibilities, some rules in the house? There could be, but it is always done in a spirit of negotiation with a 17-year-old who's about to embark on her own independence anyway. So you want, I always say between 15 and 18, to start releasing the reins more and more so that your child can practice holding them more and more. So this is the time for practice of letting go so that they can learn how to make a mistake and stand up on their own. How are they going to learn this at 18? In a year, her child is going to be off on, on their own anyway. And that's why we see many children who first join college fall apart because they've been so boundaried at home, mm -hmm, so constricted, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that now they don't know how to listen to their inner GPS and follow their own knowing. So trusting our children, teaching them that they can trust themselves and mistakes are not the end of the world and we don't need to panic. Mistakes are inevitable, but this is the way they develop resilience. Okay. So she should sit down and have a conversation. The family should have a conversation, right? Yes, yes, yes. Many conversations that are in dynamic flow and back and forth so you're teaching your child to 
excavate what matters to them. Well, you just said something, though, that I know that parents who are listening are going, Oprah, who is this woman? <laughs> when you just said you should sit and negotiate. Yes, parents hate that. Yes. yes. I, I'm not a parent, and I heard the word negotiate and go, what? what? Negotiate? Yeah, who do you think I'm going to negotiate with? That little boy? Yeah. That little senseless girl? Yeah. Well, you know, negotiation takes an inner awareness that we want our children to develop. We want our children to practice using their voice, showing up at the table, speaking up loud, even if they're talking nonsense, because that's the very skill they need out in the world to negotiate boundaries with a boss, to negotiate rules and uh, you know, norms at, at work. How will they learn to speak up for themselves if they don't practice with us? See, well, you know, I, I know a lot of parents think the best way to show their children love is through tough love. And you say uh, tough love and punishment is really about possession and control. I know a lot of parents might disagree. Just hold on. Hold on with us here. Well, so what should parents do instead? It's so sad that we have mutated the word love and we actually dare to put the words tough with it and think that's okay. That's just become so part of our way yes, of thinking. Yes, 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 yes. Right? And I always say that true love is soft. True love never hurts. True love is accepting, understanding, celebratory, giving, wow. yielding. Mm. We don't really truly love many people in our lives. We're deeply attached to them. We're enmeshed with them. We need to control them, but we very rarely truly love anyone. Whew. Okay. You say one of the goals of conscious parenting is to become irrelevant. What do you mean by that? Irrelevant to your children. I know this is hard for a lot of people because <laughs> nobody wants to feel irrelevant. Oh, on the contrary, we want to be the supreme being in our children's lives. Absolutely. Tattoo, tattoo my name on your chest. We would love <laughs> the child to do that. Yes. Well, uh, if our goal is to have children who are unable to honor their own voice, then we make ourselves relevant. If we want to raise children who are empowered, who are resilient, who are gritty, who know how to fall back on their own inner auspices for strength, for courage, for inspiration, mm -hmm. then we raise children who do not need us anymore. We're doing the contrary. We're raising our children to need us because it makes us feel valid. It gives us significance. And oh, keeps our relevance. Keeps our relevance. I'll come to the rescue. I love when my daughter calls me secretly. I do. My ego does. But my soul knows better. My soul knows that she can find her way and I need to fade into the background and allow my ego to sit back and fall back. And that's hard. It's a constant practice because we have this thirst for significance. But I will not now, or I do it less, use my daughter to fulfill my thirst for significance. Speak the speak here today. I love when you also say, I had an aha moment actually during our last conversation when you explained that we don't live a life, we live a pattern. And in the parenting map, uh, you explain that every dysfunctional pattern starts with a trigger. And I love the exercise you share in the book for recognizing those triggers. It's called Flip It Around. Walk us through that. So the other day, a mother came to me and talked about how her child is so shy, Dr. Shafali. 
you know, this is an so extra... So you're not just writing books, you're still taking in patients. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, all the time, yes. because that keeps my feet on the ground and okay. keeps me connected to the real issues that parents are struggling with. And she, so she was complaining, my child is so shy and it's an extroverted world. And if she stays shy, then she won't succeed. And for her own well-being, I yelled at her the other day. So this is the ostensible trigger, right? It sounds like she's well-meaning, like all us parents are. We're doing it because of the child. We never yell unless it's for their well-being. And then I slowly unpeeled back her own layers of conditioning. And within moments, she was able to go back to such a painful moment in her childhood where she was the shy one, where she was the introverted one, and she always felt lesser than. Do you see how quickly repetitively we regurgitate patterns onto our children and we don't even know that the real trigger is something that happened way back and is still lying dormant unhealed festering because your daughter may be just fine being an introvert most yes. of the time they yes. are yeah. but it's our negative experience with that that we then project onto our child that so you that's the say, flip you should be more extroverted you should be more outgoing right, because you that's the flip it around so that exercise will help so many parents if in the moment of their reactivity they stop and they ask themselves what in the other that i judge that i defame that i shame do i not like about myself and that's a direct pathway to your own wound and your own healing say that again what in the other that I defame and shame and judge do I actually defame and shame and judge within myself? Wow. So powerful. So I've been saying that I, I want everybody to just read the book because there is so much helpful information that we don't, act, we don't have time to get to it all today. I mean, this could be a, a week-long seminar, I can tell you. And you outline in the parenting map, six personality types in the book to help parents determine their children's essence. And Ian, we were talking about that a little bit earlier, a 51-year-old single dad of two from Chicago has a question about parenting children with uh, very different essences. Hi, Dr. Shafali, I'm Ian. I have two teenage boys with very different essences. One is an overpleaser, the other easy breezy. As a single dad who co-parents with their mother, I'm solely responsible for them when they're with me. Do you have any advice or guidance on how one parent can effectively context switch or stay attuned to two very different essences at once? And related to this, can you touch on whether a single set of household boundaries can effectively honor each child's unique essence and needs? Thank you so much. Well, I think that's so great that he actually realizes he has children with different essences. Yes, because most parents don't yeah. even attune to that possibility. Yeah, and I, I remember sharing this with you years ago that, you know, I remember a parent on the show saying, I did the same thing right. for both of them. Right, look and how one turned out. Yeah, and look how one turned out and this didn't. Right. It's because both of them needed different things. Absolutely. That's why this is the hardest job on earth. It is, it parenting. is. And you have to, if you want to do it well, yes. or consciously, you have to endeavor to customize and attune to each essence. But you see, some- Ooh, that's work. But some essences- is a lot of work. But, but here's the thing, if you have a few children- Yes. One kid will be a delicious essence for your own ego story. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that kid is so easy breezy. Yeah. But the other one is stubborn and difficult. But actually, the other kid may just be as 
just different, but just as much a good kid, but they are triggering that parent because their essence doesn't gel with the story and the movie that the parent has. So I always tell parents, first check in with yourself, what's coming up for you with this kid and what comes up for you with this kid? Because most of the times, the way we label our children as good or bad has very little to do with them and all to do with how they conform to our movie about how things should be. You are saying some powerful things here today. You know, we've all heard the phrase that kids know how to push our buttons, and you say that is a complete lie. It is a lie, and it's so cruel and lazy and unaccountable of us to say that. You know why? Because when we say, oh, that Matthew, he just knows how to push my buttons, look what we're saying, that that child is so demonic, devil spawn, that it knows how to be responsible for me. So what I'm saying is that it's your fault my buttons are pushed. You're the bad one. Instead of looking at, why do I have the button? Why have I not unwired my own detonator within? Why am I such a ticking time bomb? That's too much work. So it's easier to blame the child and go, oh, there you go, pushing my buttons again. Don't you know that mommy doesn't like this? Don't you know that you're making mommy upset or daddy upset? No, the question to ask is not whether Matthew knows or not. The question to ask yourself is why do I have have these buttons? Some people listening to you or listening to us or watching this or reading this book might feel, I think, overwhelmed because this this is a lot. And wishing they could turn back the clock on some of their parenting choices. How do you then turn the guilt and the regret or whatever you may have after realizing, oh, that's where I went wrong, and oh, I should have done this. And how do you, how do you reconcile that Yeah, so after, to something more productive? Here's the thing. All these techniques, guilting, shaming, regret, blaming, are all obfuscations to take accountability for our imperfection. We did not know, and because we did not know better, we couldn't do better. And we have to then execute the muscle of compassion and deep self-acceptance for our shadow. And then with vigor and courage, and it's difficult, we have to enter the present moment. Yeah. You you just said something that a lot of people may not be familiar with. Deep self-acceptance of our shadow. Articulate that for us. We like to believe, especially we parents, that we are devoid of baggage, of crap, of insecurity. And even if you don't believe that you're devoid of it, you don't think it's showing up in your parenting. Definitely not in our parenting. Because you're doing all the things all that the parents things, are supposed to do. All you're the sacrifice, up the, and the sacrifice, sacrifice and the, the money. And the money. Look at my body. I wrecked my body for you. I gave yes. up my career for you. I don't even like your father anymore because of this. And I'm just willing to do it all because I'm such a good parent. So because we parents and humans like to attach to this delusion of fantasy fantasy of perfectionism, to then see our shadow is so ominous for us because we grew up in shame around that in the first place. Most of us were shamed when we showed up in our imperfection from our parents. Our parents yelled at us for being human. Our parents screamed at us, judged us for being ordinary. So whenever that ordinariness shows up, or dare I say, 
averageness shows up, or dare I say imperfection shows up, our inner critic goes on, you know, on, on loud warning, like, oh, so what, what do we do with that clanging inner anxiety that our ordinariness brings about? We cover it up with this mask of perfectionism. So this method does reveal our ordinariness. But the beauty of that is that we were always ordinary. The mask was just faking that we were not. So this is stripping away the mask and allowing us to be accountable, owning, celebratory of our intrinsic humanness, which is to be ordinary. And then we accept our child's ordinariness. And then I accept his ordinariness and her ordinariness. And now we are accepting of each other's humanity. Oh, that's why this book is an offering, I think, to the world. And it starts with you and the work that you've chosen to do or the person you've chosen to be as a parent. And I think, you know, in previous discussions, I'm just saying, I don't know of a greater responsibility in the world. There is no greater responsibility than making this choice. And what you've done in both The Conscious Parent and The Parenting Map is outlined this roadmap for how to do it better and how to do it more consciously. You end the book with this beautiful passage on page 130. Would you read it for us? I just love that. Conscious parenting is not just about raising children. It is about raising humanity. When we understand its profound and powerful principles, we heal not only our own past wounds, but those of others around us. Such is the tremendous restorative potential of this work. It has the capacity to transform trauma into health. Mm, the capacity to transform trauma into health. This is the parenting map, the roadmap to doing that. And as always, I thank you, Dr. Shafali, for you. your life-shifting advice. The Parenting Map is available everywhere books are sold. Get it for yourself. Get it for your children who have children. Get it for everybody you know who has children. It is the perfect gift, I'm telling you, this season for anybody who's going to have a child, has a child, may one day have a child. It's The Parenting Map. You can also listen to Dr. Shafali. I'll read the audio version. Bye, everybody. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. <laughs>